really honest with yourselves, could say that you have at some point in your life experienced discouragement or maybe you would even call it depression, maybe you've even been diagnosed with depression. Has anybody ever felt discouraged or, and or depressed? Okay. Anybody ever just felt defeated in something? Uh, you tried really hard and, and things just would never go your way. You couldn't ever get the break that you wanted. Okay. We've all been there on some level, I'm sure, right? Maybe some of us have experienced it worse than others, right? Maybe some of us have dealt with it like um, to the point where we needed to, to seek treatment, counseling, medication, whatever. Maybe some of us have just been through a season where, man, we were just really discouraged. Or, or maybe there was just a time, a short period of time where we just felt like maybe we just needed to give up on whatever it was that we were pursuing. And maybe you have given up. You've probably experienced it at this point already, and I have, I have a little bit of bad news for you. It's going to happen again at some point, right? It's just because you get older and you're like, oh, if I just get out of middle school, things will be better. Well, they will be because middle school is the worst. Uh, but like in high school, things, other things are going to affect you, right? And you're like, if I can just get to college or, or I can get out of school or out of my parents' house or away from the people that I'm around, right? There's still going to be discouragement. There's still going to be defeat. There may still be seasons of depression. Like if I can just get married, if I can find that perfect husband or perfect wife, they don't exist, by the way, um, but they're, they're good husbands and they're good wives, and there's still, right, there's still things that are going to depress or defeat or discourage us. And you think, oh, if I can just have kids, they'll make me happy, and I'll get a puppy, and there'll be cats, and there'll be all kinds of crazy. I'll have a lot of money and a good car, uh, right? And I, I won't be anything like my parents, and it'll be great. Like, all of that, like, all this stuff that you think is going to happen, it, it's not all going to be perfect, right? There's going to be great times, and, and we pray for great times. But reality is, because we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world, there's always going to be seasons where we feel discouraged. There's going to be seasons where we feel defeated. And those levels are going to, they may not always be as great as at other times, but discouragement and being defeated, those things are parts of life. And we have a story from the book of Acts that involves Paul, who we've talked a lot about because he's really one of the central figures in Acts. Aside from Jesus, right, aside from God, Paul is really the central figure in Acts, which we believe Luke wrote. But it has a lot to do with the first disciples or apostles who are out teaching and spreading the gospel. And Paul is right in the middle of that. And so we're going to pick up in Acts 18, verse 1. Uh, the last time we were together, uh, we talked about having a teachable attitude um, and kind of how we engage scripture and how we engage culture. Paul takes those valuable lessons that he talked about in Acts 17, and he, he's seeking to apply those same things in Acts 18 as he goes to a place called Corinth. Uh, whom he's going to write two letters to, okay, to the Corinthian church in Corinth um, later on, First and Second Corinthians, right? Or if you run for president, you can call it uh, Two Corinthians, um, so, which is cool too. All right, anyway, sorry, um, last political joke. All right, um, most of you didn't get that, but that's cool. Uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 1, it says, After this, okay, this is after everything that happens in the Areopagus, which we talked about last time. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were 
tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Okay, so the scenario is this. Paul shows up in this place called Corinth. He's just left Athens. He shows up in Corinth. He, he connects with some Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ that he knows. They, they share the same ethnicity. They share the same cultural background, being Jews. But they also share faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is, this is kind of their, their bond here. But they also have the same profession, which is what? What do they make? Tents. They're tent makers. Paul has a profession, but he uses his occupation of being a tent maker to fund and to launch him into ministry. This is an interesting little note. It has nothing to do with what we're actually going to talk about in just a second. But Paul, even though he has an occupation which makes him money, look, uh, there's, there's this thing that happened in the first century. Guys like me who are full-time ministers didn't get paid to do it. Uh, Paul didn't get paid to go and preach and teach like I have the benefit of doing. Paul went and preached and, and taught um, on his own dime. He, he relied on people to take care of him wherever he went, but he also had the occupation of being a tent maker to help get him where he needed to get in order to share the gospel. But Paul, the important thing is Paul used his occupation, used his abilities and his talents as the means to share the gospel. See, Paul didn't identify himself as a tent maker. Paul identified himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He used his occupation to support his primary function. Whereas today, right, many of us will say, well, I am a banker, I am a lawyer, I am a doctor, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I'm an athlete, I'm a great student. And those are the ways we identify ourselves first. Paul said, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. I use my occupation, I use my gifts and my talents and my abilities to support my primary focus. And guys, if we're believers in Christ, we are all called first to be followers of Jesus, and all of the other stuff becomes what supports our mission to point people to Jesus. I mean, this is what we're going to see in just a second. So continuing down in verse 5, okay? When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was, in fact, Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, this is what we're going to focus on, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Verse 10, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So Paul leaves Aquila and Priscilla, and he goes, and he begins to teach in the synagogue to Jews, to his people, about the fact that Jesus Christ is Messiah, that he is God incarnate in the flesh, that he lived a sinless life, that he was crucified and resurrected on their behalf. And the only way to have eternal salvation is through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. He presents the gospel to them in the synagogue. Okay? They reject him. It says they rejected him and they reviled him. They, they hated and despised everything that Paul was saying and everything that he stood for. This was not a warm welcome for him at all. He's in the synagogue. He is in the 
the closest thing they had to a church building, right, for the worship of Yahweh God and the people in there who shared an ethnic identity, who shared cultural identity, who shared the fact that they were trying to keep the law in order to please God with Paul. And all these things, they're religious people, devoutly religious people. Paul goes in and says, hey, all of this is great. Okay, I understand the cultural heritage. I understand the Old Testament scriptures. And we're not overturning them, but Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the things that you hold dear. All the Old Testament is pointing to a Messiah, and you've been waiting for him, and that Messiah is Jesus, and they reject him. And it's this picture of Paul who has committed his entire life to going and, and sharing the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ. And he's not even, he's not even on the streets of Athens like talking to pagans. He's, he's not out talking to magicians or enchanters. He's not talking to a bunch of barbarians out in the wilderness who have, who have never heard of God, who have never heard of Jesus. He walks into the place that should have, in theory, right, been warm and welcoming and hospitable to him. And they reject him. It says not only do they reject the message, they revile and hate him. The messenger, who all he's doing is bringing good news and hope to people who are in desperate need of hope. And Paul's reaction is a little indignant. He says he shakes out his garment and says, fine, your, your blood is on your own hands. I have come and I have shared the gospel with you, and now I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm going to go share the gospel with the Gentiles and not with the Jews. I got to feel like Paul was probably a little defeated in this moment. He's probably a little discouraged. Sure, he trusted in Jesus and he trusted in God and he trusted that God would provide. And we're going to look at that in just a second. But to, to set the stage for what we're about to talk about, man, Paul devoted, devoted every ounce of his being to sharing the good news of Jesus. And he gets to a place that should have been welcoming and they flat out reject him. Now, you, you have a bunch of different experiences in your life where maybe you've been rejected before. Anybody in here ever been rejected in one way or another and they're not too proud to, to uh, admit that? Okay, I've been rejected before. All right, it happens. Okay, it, it, it happens. All right? I'm not going to ask you fellas to, to raise your hand if you've been friend-zoned 74 times um, and you're still trying to figure out how to get out of the friend-zone. Uh, I get it. It happens, right? But look, yeah, it's true. Once you're in the friend-zone, just, just, just take your L and realize that's where you are. All right, hey, listen, listen to me. Listen, if you haven't experienced rejection yet, bless your heart because it's coming at some point. In some way, that's funny, uh, basketball reference. All right, hey, listen to me. You're, you're going to face rejection at some point. I, I've told this story in here before, but there was a season, hey guys, there was a season in my life where I, I was extremely prideful about some really silly things. Like, there was a season in my life where I thought, hey, God, you've called me to ministry, and so I'm just going to show up at one of these churches that's looking for a, a full-time minister, and I, I'm just going to get the job because you've called me to it, uh, I'm talented, and I've got degrees, and I've spent a lot of time, and the, you know, the last several years of my life have been focused on this, and so I know that you're just going to open those doors for me. And guys, let me be honest with you, it's, it's really hard to sit in a job interview, right, at a church or wherever. For me, at the time, it was a church where, like, I'm interviewing and there's other guys that are interviewing and, and time after time, it'd be like, hey, 
appreciate you interviewing, appreciate your interest, but we're going in this direction, or we're going in this direction. And then I see all my friends like, that are younger than me, that, that I, quite honestly, in that moment in my life, I was like, there's no way this dude should be getting a job before me at a church or, or doing anything. And I was so full of myself that in those moments, I, I, I let myself get very defeated and very discouraged because there was rejection after rejection after rejection. And let me, more stories of rejection. Every Wednesday night, I get rejected. You know, I sit up here every Wednesday night, and I look at your faces, and half of you are like, bro, what are you even talking about? Right? Dude, this story was super lame. You're not funny. And I've been checked out for the last 20 minutes. Rejection. Right? I'll preach. I'm preaching on Sunday morning. And so I won't get rejected by 40 people. I'll get rejected by 400 people on Sunday morning. It's just what it is. I'll look out in the congregation, and I will be preaching my little heart out. I've prepared all week. And, man, in my mind, I'm killing it. And all of a sudden, I look out there, and it's just like blank stares, mouth wide open, or you're on your phone, or you're asleep, or whatever. It's rejection. And that's what it feels like, at least. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, I just said that, but he wasn't listening. All right. Um, so, rejection. Again. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's literally the analogy that I was using. It's okay. All right. Case in point. I appreciate it. Um, no, so rejection is a real thing. And listen to me, Paul, guys, Paul, the greatest preacher in the history of preachers aside from Jesus, gets rejected here. It doesn't matter how well he articulates it. It doesn't matter how the Holy Spirit is moving. It, do, it doesn't matter what's happening. These people have this wall up and they're like, no, dude, no, thank you. We're not interested. As a matter of fact, we don't even like you. So why don't you get out of the synagogue? That is right, Joe. See, encouragement from Joe. Yeah, y'all reject me and Joey loves me. All right, Joey loves everybody, so it doesn't really count. Thank you, Joe. All right, so. Boom, he does. Thank you. All right, so listen to me. Hey, Paul gets rejected here. And, and he's got to feel discouraged. He's got to feel defeated. But we, we see something incredible happen. Number one, we see dozens, if not hundreds of people, come to know Jesus as a result of Paul's faithfulness. But what I want us to focus on for the next few minutes is that God gives Paul an incredible promise. Um, whoever, is that Emily back there on the screen? If you put it on verse 10, or verse 9b, really, it's where, he, where Jesus starts talking. It says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. There's three parts to this promise. Real quickly, if you're taking notes, uh, that's fine. Kind of the key truth is the fulfillment of the Great Commission will always be met with opposition. The fulfillment of the Great Commission, right, where Jesus commands us to go, therefore, making disciples of all nations, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our calling, he repeats it really in a different way in Acts 1. He says, when the power of the Holy Spirit is upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Our calling as Christ followers, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, is to go and to point people to the saving knowledge, redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And so in order for that to happen, right, we have to put ourselves out there. And guys, anytime that the gospel is being presented, there's going to be opposition of some kind. There's going to be obstacles. 
just like anything else you do in your life, if you are working hard towards something, there's going to be obstacles. You're training really hard to be a great athlete, and there's, there's injuries that set you back, right? Or, or you're working really hard in school, and there's distractions that take place, right? Or you're really, you're working hard on this relationship. Fellas, you, you see her on Instagram, you're like, oh man, she's hot, whatever, um, but then you're like, oh, she's got a boyfriend, right? That's an obstacle, all right? All right, probably an obstacle she, you should back away from and just be like, okay, she's got a boyfriend. Uh, but you pursue her anyway, whatever, uh, obstacle, right? She moves off to another place, obstacle. We're met with obstacles and challenges, opposition to things all the time. Guys, listen to me. There's, there's real spiritual warfare that takes place. When we are trying to point people to Jesus, there's going to be opposition. Paul experiences that. But God gives him a promise in verse 10, a three-part promise. He says, do not be afraid and, and continue to speak and do not be silent. And then he gives three reasons, really. The first, okay, I am with you. If you're taking notes, three things. I am with you. God is always present, okay? The, the big word is that he's omnipresent, okay? That God is omnipresent. It just means he's present everywhere. But God is constantly and consistently present in the life of a believer. He's, he's always there. We have that repeated throughout the New Testament, that God is present. And he specifically tells Paul in this context, I am with you. One thing we have to understand is that this, this promise is given specifically to Paul in the first century in Corinth for the time and place in which he's in. But we can take some of the same truths and apply it to the 21st century that Paul applied it to in the first century. God is always with you. Now, can you think of someone in your life that is always there for you? Now, you can think of a lot of people that are almost always there for you, but there's no one in your life that is absolutely always there for you. You say, oh, well, my dad is always there for me. My mom's always there for you. They're not always there for you. And the bad news of human life is they won't always be there for you because we face death, we face sickness, we face circumstances, and there's not anyone that's always going to be there for you. You can make promises in your life. I will always be there if you need me. Right? That's a really sweet thing to say. And you may try to always be there. You may have the best intentions to be there. But you're human, and we face obstacles and circumstances. Yet God is immune to circumstances, right? He's never going to break a promise. There's never going to be something too big uh, in his life that comes up where he can't be there for you because he's God, and he exists outside of space and time and can be all places at all times forever and ever, anytime he wants He's always there. And he says, Paul, my, my presence is with you. The Holy Spirit is upon you. And so you don't have anything to fear because I am God and I am with you. And guys, look at me. Uh, the girl that's in your, in your DM saying, I'll always be there for you no matter what happens, whatever, right? She may, she may think that she means it and she may have you know, great intentions, but she's not always going to be there. She can't because she's a human being and life is going to happen. Yet God will always be there. Now, uh, I, th I think it's really interesting, this thing that happens around this time of year. All right. So this past Sunday, we celebrated Easter or resurrection, resurrection day, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many of you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Raise your hand. This is not a trick question. All right. How many of you believe that Jesus 
turned a couple fish and a few loaves of bread into enough food to feed 5,000 people. Cool? How many of you believe that Jesus walked on water? Sweet. How many of you believe that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? That was a cool one. All right. How many of you believe that Jesus healed blind people and lame people and lepers? Right? Not leopards, as Smith likes to think. I don't know why he's healing jungle, jungle cats. Um, right? We believe that Jesus did all of that. We believe that God parted the Red Sea, right? And uh, the Israelites walked through it, and then the Egyptians were crushed with it. Then he drops manna from heaven every day for like 40 years, which is pretty cool. There was like water that came out of a rock. Pretty cool trick also. There were all the plagues like frogs and hail and um, water turning into blood. Cool stuff. God does a lot of really neat stuff in the Bible. And we believe all of it, as we should, because it happened. But then this interesting phenomenon happens where all of a sudden... God says, I'm going to be with you through everything, and then we get in the middle of everything, and we're like, God, where are you? And he's like, bro, I told you, I'm going to be there all the time, always. Like, well, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead, but I'm not sure that you can like, handle my circumstances today. He's God. Like, if, if he can part the Red Sea, if he can close some hungry lion's mouths so they don't eat a human being that's locked in a pit with them, if he can supernaturally appear with three dudes in the middle of a fiery furnace and they all survive without their hair even getting singed, right? If he can do all of those things and we really believe all of those things, then we have to believe that God can be with us and is with us in the day-to-day things of our lives. But our actions suggest that we don't really believe that because we get in the middle of stuff and suddenly God isn't good enough, right? We just sang a song where we were singing and, and, and it talks about, hey, God, I would rather have more of you and and less of anything else. But instead, when we get in the middle of stuff, we think, I need everything else to make me feel good and to to complete me and to fulfill me. And and God is just kind of a backup plan. Here's here's the, the real truth of it, guys, is that we believe the stuff in the Bible, or we say we believe the stuff in the Bible, because it doesn't require anything of us. It doesn't require anything of me to believe that God parted the Red Sea, because I ain't walking across it. It doesn't require anything of me to believe that God healed a paralyzed dude because I'm not paralyzed. It doesn't require anything of me to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead because all I have to do is say, "Uh, okay, cool, yes, you did, awesome. But it requires something of me to trust God in my day-to-day present life. And that's where it gets hard. It's not easy. It wasn't easy for Paul Paul just met a bunch of angry Jews in the middle of synagogue who were trying to run him out of town. In fact, he's going to get stoned and locked in prison not too, not too long after this. He's going to get thrown in prison a lot. And yet he continues to trust God. He says, God, I know that you are with me because you told me you are. And you've, you've never failed any of your promises. You've delivered on each and every one of them. So we're feeling defeated, we're feeling discouraged. God says, I'm with you. And if we really believe God is who he says he is and believes his promises, then rather than trying to add stuff to our lives to try to make us feel better to overcome the discouragement, what what if we just said, God, I I trust that you're here. And this is gonna be difficult. And it's not gonna be easy. But, but I believe that you are walking with me through this. Now, look, this doesn't mean that if, if you're experiencing depression that there aren't other things that, that you need to do, right? 
right? The depression is a, is a real medical thing, psychological thing that has, to, that has to get treated and taken care of. And God has, has given us people to help us to, to deal with that. So I'm not saying that you just say, oh, well, forgo anything else. And, and if you just say, God is with me, everything will be fine. That's not what I'm saying. But our trust in God ultimately is what's going to deliver us through the dark times, right? There are other steps that we can take to aid in that process. But the, the, the root of it is, do we trust God above all other things? Or when it really comes down to it, do we say, I can see these things. I can touch these things. These things make me feel better in the moment. And so this is what I'm going to put my faith in. Or am I really going to put my faith in God? You see that Paul puts his trust in God. God, he said, God says, I am with you. The second thing he says is no one will attack you to harm you. No, one, no one's going to attack you to harm you. Now, this one gets a little, a little tricky, right? Because what God is telling Paul is I'm going to protect you physically in this moment. I'm going to wrap my arms around you. I'm going to give you physical, literal protection in this place because I have a purpose for you. And I don't want your purpose to be derailed in Corinth. I have something bigger for you. So God tells Paul, I'm going to protect you. Now, we know that bad stuff happens here on this earth, right? Do you agree that bad stuff happens sometimes, stuff that isn't explainable, right? On Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka, so 400 people lose their life, most of whom were worshiping in different churches and different um, you know, uh, religious um, atmospheres in Sri Lanka. And they were targeted in those places specifically because of what they believed about God. Okay? Many of them Christian worshipers going to worship a risen Savior on Easter Sunday, and they were killed because of their beliefs. And you say, well, God told Paul that he wouldn't bring any harm to him. Well, Paul's, God's talking specifically to Paul about his physical protection in this moment. But the lesson that we learn is that ultimately God holds our eternal future in his hand. And there is no harm that can come to us that can affect our eternity with God if we're in Christ Jesus. If we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, no matter what harm, no matter what obstacle happens to us on this earth, our eternity is secure. Paul is going to write about this to the Roman church in Romans chapter 8 where he says there's absolutely nothing that can sever my relationship from Jesus Christ, my eternal future and hope that I have in him. Not angels, not demons, nothing. There's nothing that can separate me from the love that Jesus Christ has engaged me with. And Paul, Paul learns that lesson in part from this experience in Corinth, that there's nothing that can come between me and Jesus Christ. And so for me and you, are we going to hurt? Are we going to suffer? Are we going to have heartache and heartbreak here on this earth? Absolutely. You know why? Because we live in a fallen world because of sin. That's part of the deal. But we can live in freedom in this life because we know that our eternal future is already secured. And what that means is that we don't have to worry about the pressures of this world Right? We don't have to live in this moment where we're, where we're slave or captive to the world because we know that the world is ultimately going to pass away. And so our insecurities, our doubts, they die when we die and are left behind. 
and we get to experience Jesus for all time without doubt, without insecurity, without self-worth or self-esteem issues, no peer pressure, no brokenness, everything will be perfectly restored to the way that God created it. You don't have to worry about the ACT or your GPA. You don't have to worry about being the best athlete or being the last person picked at an athletic competition. You don't have to worry about um, whatever traumatic events you suffered at home. You don't have to worry about the pressures of dating relationship. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff for all eternity. But we allow ourselves to be held captive by it here for this momentary part of all eternity. Like in the grand scheme of eternity, Francis Chan does this incredible illustration with a rope. Uh, I, I stole it and used it um, on a Sunday morning one time. But imagine this, this endless timeline that represents all eternity. If you were looking up here, you, you guys know what a timeline looks like, right? Just the straight line, okay? Except when we talk about history, there, the, the, our timeline has a beginning point over here, right? Somewhere over here to your left and my right. There's a beginning point, and it goes on and on and on and on that way. And you, you learn about in history certain periods of, of history. Right? You may study the uh, American Revolution, right? And before that comes this, this period of exploration, right, where all of these European countries are, are sending explorers all around the unknown world. Right? And then you jump past the American Revolution and you learn about the early part of our country and, and then you, learn, you get into the Civil War and you get into Reconstruction and you get into the turn of the century, all this industrial age that's happening. And then you have World War I and World War II and then you get into the Cold War. You learn about all these different things that happen and they're all in segments along the timeline. All of that, all of that is compressed though in, in, the, in the grand scheme of eternity. Right? The average life expectancy in America is... Is somewhere, it's always going to be somewhere between 70 and 80 years old. Imagine 75 years on, put on a timeline that stretches out throughout all of eternity. I mean, from there, you wouldn't even be able to see, it'd be just a speck on this timeline. Yet we focus all of our energy, all of our effort, all of our emotion, everything that we have is focused on this world when we are going to spend eternity alive with Christ. But we put all of our focus in what can I do that's going to last at most 75, 80 years. But probably a few weeks or months or years. When instead, scripturally, we've been called to have this focus on things that will last for eternity. So while we're focused on doubts and insecurities and, and we're focused on stuff that, that has to do with me, God says, why not focus on this person's soul, their eternal future, because that's going to last for all eternity, one way or the other, with God or separated from God. And so I say that to say that though we may experience physical harm or obstacles on this earth, we can endure those things for the sake of eternity with Jesus Christ. The third part is that God reminds Paul, he says, I have many in this city who are my people. Not only is God with you, but there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are with you. You are not alone. I think one of the worst parts about being discouraged or being depressed is that so often you feel alone and you feel isolated in it. And maybe you're doing okay when things are busy and you got stuff going on, but it's in those moments where you're by yourself, you're alone, and your mind starts to, to think. Maybe it's at night for you. 
when, when, when you try to lay down, you try to go to sleep, but all you can think about is the stress, the anxiety, and sometimes you can't even pinpoint what it is or why you feel anxious or why you feel this burden of discouragement, defeat, depression, whatever. But you feel alone, even if you have somebody to talk to. You, you just feel disconnected and you feel like, I'm the only person that, that, that is experiencing this pain. And God says, I have many in this city who are my people. Paul, don't think that you're alone in this. Look at me, students. It doesn't matter if you're in seventh grade or if you're a senior in high school, about to go off to college, if you're an adult, whatever. There are many in this city who are God's people. There are many in this room who are God's people. There are many in this church, many in this town, many in this community, many who are God's people, who want to love and encourage you. And so maybe you feel defeated today. Maybe you feel discouraged. I've been there. I'll be honest, guys. Look, just trans- transparent. This is not something I can like, get up on a Sunday morning and say because you just can't say this when you're in the ministry. But in the last year, I've probably felt more defeated and more discouraged than I've ever felt in my entire life. And I, I don't even really know why. Things are good. I have a good life comparatively. But there, guys, there are just moments where I'm overwhelmed. It's a very real thing. And we're, we're all at some point going to feel it. And that's why God has created the unity of the church. Ekklesia, the Greek word in the New Testament. A gathering together of people who believe the same thing, that, that believe in Jesus Christ. They have unity in Christ. And we were designed and created for companionship and to encourage and to love one another. Right? You remember in Genesis 1, we've talked about this. God's going through creation, and he says, on the first day, I created this, and it was good. On the second day, I created this, and it was good. God created this, and it was good. God created this, and it was good. God created that, and it was good. He created the heavens, the seas, and it was good. He created light, and it was good. He created trees, and it was good. He created animals, and it was good. God created man, and it was good, but it was what? Not good for man to be alone. It's the first thing in all of creation that God says, Man needs something else. It's not good for him to be alone. And so God creates not only man, but he creates woman, right? But he creates us in part because he knows we need one another. So he says, Paul, I have many in my city who are my people. Look at me. If you're struggling with something, you're defeated, you're discouraged, and you're like, I can't tell anybody about this. No one will understand that's, that's your pride talking, and you got to let go of it, and you got to say, hey, look, perhaps this is something that I've got to share with somebody. Now, you got to find the right person, right? But know that there are people that love you, that care about you, that value you. I know of one right off the bat that gets paid to do it, and Joey. He's probably more qualified. Go talk to Joey. He's probably better at keeping secrets too. But seriously, God is always with you. He's not going to allow anything to overwhelm you or to overcome you. 
that won't be made whole, that won't be made perfect in eternity. And he has many who want to love and encourage you and support you as you walk and journey through life. The most encouraging part of this, and then the band is going to come and lead us one more song. That last little part of what we just read. In verse 11, it says, and Paul, or it says, he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul could have very easily, justifiably just said, I'm done. Y'all ran me out of the temple, and I'm just through with everybody in this city. It said he stayed for 18 months proclaiming the gospel. He was encouraged because he knew God was with him. He knew that there was no harm that was going to come to him that he couldn't overcome. And he knew that there were many in that city to love and encourage him in the name of Jesus Christ. So my prayer is that we would be encouraged by those things as well. That we could live in the light of eternity because we know that God has already defeated death. He's already conquered sin. He's already conquered this world. And so there's nothing on this earth that can derail you from living a life that honors Jesus if you'll focus on him. This should give us boldness in how we proclaim our faith, and it should give us resolve or steadfastness in how we remain faithful to God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this group. God, I thank you for the way they love one another, the way they encourage one another. God, we are so thankful, God, that we serve a God that is alive, and not only alive, God, but active in our lives. God, we believe that you are with us always. In the middle of the, the great times of growth, the peaks, God, but also in the valleys, the seasons of discouragement or defeat or even depression. God, we are thankful, God, that, that you are our protector. You are our defender. You are our refuge, safe place. And that you won't allow any real harm to come to us. God, we are thankful for one another. I could list dozens, dozens of people in my life each and every day who love and encourage me and uplift me. And when I'm at my lowest, continue to love me anyway, God, and I'm so thankful for those people. I pray that we would be that person to someone else and that we would also realize that we're all gonna be in need of encouragement. I pray that we would humble ourselves to the point where we can ask for that, that we can seek that out. God, we ask all these things in your name. Amen. You guys stay in the same. Uh-huh.